Welcome to the Commercial Disco, a voyage of commercial discovery. The only show dedicated to exploring the commercialization of great ideas and research across deep tech and science, driven by the ambition of the people that make up Australia's unique innovation landscape. We talk to the greatest minds about what is influencing their work and their insights into the ingredients needed to bring great Australian innovation to life. Hello and welcome to the Commercial Disco. I'm James Riley, Editorial Director of InnovationOz.com. Today we're talking to Christine Tonkin, the member for Churchlands in the West Australian Parliament. Hi, Christine. How are you going? Hello, James. I'm very well, thank you. Okay, now I'm interested in talking to you because of your domain expertise in procurement, all matters procurement. So you've been in the West Australian Parliament for a couple of years now, but before that had held senior procurement roles all over the world. I've got in front of me the Asian Development Bank, the International Atomic Energy Agency. You've worked for some time at Queensland Purchasing in the Queensland State Government the Republic of Ireland, you did some consulting work on procurement over there. And you mentioned procurement in your maiden speech to the West Australian Parliament, which I think that might make you a first. I'm not sure. It probably is a first. And I mentioned procurement because I'm always of the view that we can do procurement a lot better. And I'm particularly interested in using procurement to facilitate economic diversification to support local companies and also to support innovation. Okay, these are areas dear to my heart. So we're definitely going to have a bit to talk about today. Let me ask you this off the bat. So you're two years in, you're obviously uh, getting amongst people in your electorate, you're getting amongst your colleagues from across the state. Just in relation to how government works and how government buys things and how they kind of strategically look to fill their needs, What have you seen in WA? What has kind of surprised you seeing it from a different vantage point, I guess? Well, I guess what surprises me is the extent to which procurement is focused around the solicitation, evaluation and contract award phase, which is in fact the least evaluating aspect of the procurement process. What I haven't seen is a lot of good procurement strategy developed at the project or category level. And that's where you get 75% of the value add to the procurement outcome. So you get 75% out of good procurement strategic planning or good strategy. You get about 5% in terms of value add out of the solicitation evaluation contract award phase. And then you get the other 20% delivered through the effective contract delivery management. Okay, let's drill into that a little bit. When we're talking about strategic planning around procurement, at a federal level, I'm sitting in Canberra and I can see that there would be lots of strategic planning maybe in the Department of Finance, but the Department of Industry doesn't get a look-see into what strategic planning there could be around, outside of defence anyway, building capability or building capacity or whatever you want to do. Yeah, well, that's a big topic. But I'm talking about when you decide that you have a need for something and you get a budget allocated for it, you can't assume that just by following the rules around how you go out to tender and how you evaluate and how you award a contract, you can't assume that you're going to get best value for money out of that process. What you have to think about is, well, hang on, what value for money do I want to achieve here? 
and frame a strategy to directly deliver on those outcomes. So it's a process that should be undertaken by people with both commercial nows and with technical expertise and by those who have a program delivery interest in the whole process. So those whose business it supports. And you need a cross-functional teams to work on strategy to deliver the best value for money outcome. And then you frame your approach to the market, having worked through that strategy. And just say going to innovation, if you decide that one of the opportunities you have in buying whatever it is, is that there is an opportunity to tap innovation in a marketplace, then you would actively identify how you would go about best tapping that innovation. And I'll use an example. The example is cybersecurity. Now, in order to deal with the emerging threats, constantly evolving threats in the cyber world, you actually need to have the expertise of companies that are themselves evolving and developing their responses. But the way in which we've been procuring cybersecurity, for example, means that we're dealing with companies with long-standing capability. They might have cybersecurity expertise along with other ICT or IoT-related expertise, but not be specialists. Whereas I think there's an opportunity to tap innovation by looking at ways of engaging with those fast on their feet, new innovators who can really support government agencies to deal with what is an evolving threat field. Okay. Well, look, I mean, just as a basic observation, it just seems you would agree there is a role for procurement in industry development, as you've just articulated. And have you got an example of a program that has been successful? I can think of a couple overseas, and there's one at a smaller scale at the federal level in Australia, but what's happening in WA? Well, we're at the beginning, I think, of a process. I've spent a couple of years being mightily frustrated that my home state is not at the leading edge of public procurement management, but I've been having lots of conversations. There have been lots of thinking in government. There is a lot of policy determination to get more diversification in the economy and to support local industry development. So things are changing. We've had a review of the WA Jobs Act, and I put in a submission to that, and I used health sector procurement as an example of how you could do this better to get better local industry development. And I just thought, nobody's going to listen to me. Well, they did listen to me. And our health sector is listening. And our health sector is taking on board those perspectives. Other agencies are taking on board those perspectives. And there's a lot of determination to make sure that we're using our tax dollars effectively in a way that promotes local industry development and participation in the government market. Because what companies say to me is, don't give us a grant, give us an order. And giving an order means that we get good value for money, but we also do good for the economy. And that mentality has changed in government. Yeah, you do hear that over and over, right? Don't give me a grant, give me a PO. All right, let me ask you this. Why is it so difficult? It would seem... I don't know. From the outside, I've never worked for government. I've never been a uh, member of parliament. But from the outside, 
it's hard to know where the actual blockage is. It can't be cultural, surely. Why is it so hard to get more than one outcome from these purchasing decisions? I think it is partly cultural. I think it's the way in which procurement has been conceptualised in this state, almost a, a reticence to step outside the guardrails. And I think then it comes down to a lack of frameworks through which you can actually have very transparent and accountable procurement, but one that's much more engaged around thinking about how you achieve outcomes, thinking about how you achieve them and documenting how you intend to achieve them and documenting the results and monitoring results. So there are really sound frameworks that guarantee the integrity and, in fact, present greater transparency and integrity to the procurement process. But there is a mindset that says, oh, well, if we just follow the right process at the solicitation evaluation contract award phase, then we can't go wrong. We'll guarantee integrity. Well, I've got news for you. You could drive the Queen Mary through that process if you have a nefarious strategy that you want to implement. So putting in place a good strategy is a way of actually getting good integrity and good transparency and good accountability into public procurement. I'm talking to Christine Tonkin, the member for Churchlands in the WA Parliament. Okay, so very often when frameworks are put in place around procurement, it seems that there's, if not conflicting goals, there are certainly competing goals or competing agendas. So there's price, there's fit for purpose, there's maybe where a company is based and how many employees they have in the local market or whether the product or service is on some kind of strategic commodity list. So how do we march through those complexities? How do we put those things in place so that what looks like to me from the outside again, it looks like cultural cringe in terms of perhaps not wanting to buy a locally made product, but certainly not, you know, there's a whole no one ever got fired for buying IBM routine. How do we view this? I think what people say is, oh, well, they like to reduce things down to formulas, particularly in an evaluation formula. And we'll weight this value this way, this value another way. And we can work it out as mathematical formula that spews out the best value for money decision. I say you don't have the opportunity to achieve all the potential value for money objectives that can be conceived of in any given purchase. You look for the opportunities, particularly for significant purchases, those that are high value and or high risk. Look at those particular procurements and develop strategy for them in much more detail. And look at the opportunities that are there to tap value for money. Now, you can tap innovation in some instances. That's not available in everything. There are some things that are just out-and-out commodities that you buy. You might be spending a lot of money on them like desktops, tablets, all sorts of things, laptops. Not a lot of scope for innovation there, but there might be scope for innovation in buying other things solving a particular problem or finding a better way of doing something that would give much better outcomes for, say, program delivery, adding value to program delivery, for example. And you've really got to look at each of those significant procurements and say, well, hang on a minute, what opportunities do we have here? And do some analysis of 
the requirement, critically consider the requirement. Is this the best way to meet this need? Is there another way to meet the need? Looking at the stakeholder needs and influences, you know, what are our stakeholders saying about what they require here and analysing that? And then looking at how the underlying supply market works, you know, how suppliers compete, how the structure of the market, what substitutes exist, the agency's value as a customer, the supply chain, how can you get better value out of the parameters of a supply chain? So having analysed all that information and looked at the value for money opportunities that could arise that you think might be there, you can then frame a strategy saying, yeah, we want to tap innovation in this one or we want to tap value-add to program delivery in this one. You know, it just depends entirely upon what you're looking at. We want to support local manufacturing because we really need to develop our manufacturing of these sorts of products because we learn from the pandemic that we've got significant supply chain vulnerabilities here. So you look at the opportunities for these significant procurements and then you frame your procurement strategy and your approach to the market accordingly. So tell me this, having a couple of years inside government, having a look around the state, where do you see opportunities for, I don't know, using the purchasing power of government? We know that there's an energy transition on at the moment. We know that there's new industries are emerging in battery tech and, and all sorts of things. So what are you looking at? What's interesting to you? Well, I'll talk about a local company that I think is fascinating that has got lots of potential. There's a company called Electroaero, Electro.Aero, and that company I think has about 80% of the worldwide market for mobile charging units for electric aircraft. So the big problem with charging electric aircraft is that they park on an apron on an airfield and how do you plug them in? to charge them up. Well, Electro Aero has solved that problem by having units that it can roll up to an aircraft and plug in, and they've got these amazing controllers. They've got the goods that you need in terms of control are actually in the box that you roll up to the aircraft, and you can do your charging. Now, that company, as I said, 80% of the world market, Biggest market is in the US. They're manufacturing here locally and exporting. They're working with other players in the electric aircraft industry to put in place charging nodes around the southwest of Western Australia and indeed in other parts of Australia. So you can fly these aircraft, which, you know, usually have a range of, you know, say up to 200 kilometres. You can land them and charge them and they can go on to the next airfield. So this is a whole new industry and it's wonderful. But the other thing about that technology is if you're going to build electric buses, then you can use that same technology because one of the big problems with buses is an electric bus isn't always going to be able to park at a static charging station. These units can be just rolled up to the bus, plugged in and charge the bus where the bus is parked. Now, that is fabulous technology that is readily transferable to another industry. And also, you don't necessarily require static car charging stations. If you have a unit that you can roll up and plug into a car, that's even better. So there's a whole market for this sort of technology. And when it's combined with, say, solar or some other form of renewable energy input, 
it makes for a lot of sense in terms of taking emissions out of our supply chains. So that's just one example. You would have to think also that some of the big mines in Western Australia have uh, large fleets of vehicles that ultimately will need to be electrified and will have a similar need. Christine, tell me, you just cited a, a local company. I guess we'll just finish up on this. So we get down to the electorate level. When you're kind of delving down into the, the people who come into your office, I think you've done some work on innovation locally, just trying to get some grassroots movement in your own electorate. What do people kind of ask of you as a member of parliament? Well, they ask of me to help them present whatever it is that they're producing to government. And they often come to me with the phrase, I don't want a grant, I just want an order. And how do you help me get there? And so I do a lot of advocacy for local companies. I have, for example, a company in the electorate that produces wheelchairs, both manual and electric wheelchairs, motorised wheelchairs. And they're the only manufacturer in Australia of those particular mobility devices. They're innovating all the time to offer not only just a wheelchair to, say, health service facilities, but also to offer a full service around the management of wheelchairs. And they're offering services like taking responsibility for the whole-of-life management of wheelchair fleets, providing wheelchairs in a way that allows people with disabilities who would take a while to get out of hospital waiting for a suitable mobility device to be able to use a device temporarily that will get them out of the hospital system. So there's all sorts of innovation around that. And they're trying to do that on a very much on a sustainable basis. So I've been working with them to present their case to government agencies and more generally in the community. I definitely will finish on this one, but I'm very interested in this because I'm sure you get lots of different types coming into the office and seeking this kind of assistance. What advice would you give to a local producer of something, a local manufacturer of something? Like if you could give them some advice to prepare before they come to a meeting with you, what should they have done? Which boxes should they have ticked? They should know their market and be able to identify which government agencies are likely to want their product or service. They should be able to understand who are the key decision makers in those agencies. So basically a lot of work around knowing their own customers and also then understanding how they might innovate to respond to those customer needs. And that would be a big help. All right, Christine Tonkin, thank you so much for joining us today. The terrific. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed talking with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Commercial Disco Podcast. Please like, subscribe and leave a five-star review wherever you heard us. And please visit our website, innovationoz.com, to check out our reporting on tech, innovation and public policy. You can also follow us on social media to ask us any questions or to suggest a guest for the show. Until next time, this is the Commercial Disco wishing you a great week ahead.